This morning we're going to wrap up a series that we started on the 8th of uh, February where we talked about decisions. And uh, started out the series by just basically asking this question as I quickly review and kind of go over what we've learned so far. Is uh, wouldn't it be great is at the end of 2012 that you could look back and you could say, I am better off at the end of the year than I was at the beginning of the year in the important areas of life. Not necessarily am I better off financially or if I got a raise or if I got more money in the bank, but am I better off in the things that really matter? If you're married, is your marriage in a better place? Has your relationship with your wife or your husband grown closer together or further apart? Has your spiritual life developed and is your relationship with God on a good track and are you growing towards Him and becoming more like Christ and allowing Him to transform you and change you into the person that He wants you to be? And I said, how do we make sure, how can we foolproof or how can we figure out that at the end of another year we can be and go in the direction that we want to go? And the first Sunday we talked about this fact, according to Scripture, What's the number one thing that you and I need to make great decisions? Because the sum of 2012 and where I am at the end of 2012 and where I am right now, the, that what's going to decide all that is my decisions as a human being. That if I'm going to end up in a better place at the end of 2012, and my marriage is better or it's worse, or my spiritual life is better or it's worse, or my relationships with the important people in my lives are better or worse, are all going to be decided, and the outcome is decided by the decisions that you and I make on a daily basis. Small, large, not so important, and very important. So if we could figure out how to make great decisions... On a daily basis, it would almost guarantee us in the areas that are the most important to be at a better place. So how do we make great decisions? And I said this, and we would all agree, I think, that great decisions are based on maybe one thing or one of primary thing that we would say is I need wisdom. Because sometimes decisions are complicated. And sometimes they're not just black and white and there's gray. And you're like, man, I just don't know what to do. I need wisdom. And according to Scripture, what we talked about the first week is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is, when I begin to think differently about who God is. When I recognize who he is, and I recognize ultimately the bottom line was this, is that once I fear the Lord, once I have the correct view of who God is, that he's powerful, in fact, he's all-powerful, that he's holy, and that my holiness is not determined, and I shouldn't compare my holiness to my neighbor or someone down the street, because when we compare, we're always more holy than somebody else. But my holiness is determined... By God's holiness. And he is holy. And according to his holiness, there is no holiness. But when I view him as powerful, holy, I need him. And then when I understand what he really wants from me. And that is he wants everything. He wants my relationships. He wants my time. He wants my finances. He wants my thoughts. He wants my feelings. He wants everything. He's a jealous God. 
That when I understand those three things and maybe some more things, that there is a time and a place when I begin to fear him with a fear, not just a reverence, but I really fear him for who he is. And I understand this, that as I make decisions, there is nothing I have to fear more than God himself. And it brings, it brings clarity because as I get into tight situations and complicated decisions and hard decisions, I can say, God, it really doesn't matter what they think. It really doesn't matter about anything else. The only thing that really matters is what do you think? What do you want? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And man, if we had wisdom, not only if we had wisdom, if we would apply our wisdom, because sometimes we have wisdom and we just don't apply it. Last week, we talked about the fact that we need friends. That there is a time and there is a place, and it is often, that we need someone outside of our life to speak into our life. That we need friends that love us, that care about us, that are, have our best interest in mind. And we need to ask for advice. And not only do we need to ask for advice, we need to listen to advice. And boy, we push back against this hard. And we talked about the fact that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. That God came to Solomon one day and said, hey, I'll give you anything you want. Anything you want, I'm going to give you. And Solomon said, well, here's what I want. I want wisdom. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom. And since you had enough wisdom to ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you a whole bunch more stuff as well. And as, as Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, he was the smartest man that ever lived. He was the wisest man that ever lived. And you know what he wrote about more than any other writer ever in history was the fact that it is wise to receive lots of counsel. He wrote about it over and over and over again that wisdom is found and good decisions are made with lots of counsel and lots of advice. And we don't like that. Boy, we push back. And we simply just said last week, you know what? We need each other. We need each other to speak into our lives. And we need to pay attention to the voices around us. Now listen, that can get complicated because sometimes the voices around us don't have our best intentions in mind. But we need trusted people that we can go to. And sometimes advice comes from odd places. And we said also that you will never be so successful and so brilliant and so far up on the ladder that you don't need advice. We need our friends. Today I want to talk to you about something. And I didn't know what to title this necessarily. So I just titled the best decision ever. Because I'm going to ask you guys. I'm going to ask all of us to make a decision today. And I think it's the best decision ever. Some of you have already made this decision. But maybe we need to renew that decision. And I, I just say this here before we get into this because um, some of you that know me and know me well, uh, I'm kind of a fast mover and sometimes maybe I move too fast. But this lesson today is something I have never preached on ever in all the years that of eight years or whatever it is, but I've been preaching, it's kind of a brand new subject for me. It's a brand new learning for me. And so this whole concept that I'm going to talk about today is a work in progress. 
But I'm so excited about it because I think it will change the way we look at things. It'll change the way we live our Christian life, and it does, and it has me, and it's still a work in progress. So um, if there's holes in my, in my story today or in my teaching today, just accept it as some holes. And if there's some com- incompleteness, just accept it that it's just a moron up on stage telling you what's happening in his life. Okay, honestly, because my intention this morning is not to give all the answers and to bring a completeness to this thing because I'm not capable of it and I'm not sure I ever will be. But I want to share something with you this morning that I hope means as much to you as it has to me. The best decision ever. I'm going to ask you to make a decision in three very specific areas in your life. And I believe this, and most of you have heard this before, although I think many of us have been very confused about this concept and what it means, and maybe we've heard it and just kind of passed over it, but Scripture teaches something that is very, very, very important when it comes to you and I living our Christian lives that we seldom hear about. And it is this fact is that you and I are made up of three parts. That we're made up of three parts. First Thessalonians 5. Verse 23 is very clear on this. And here's what it says. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In other words, all the way. Completely. May your whole spirit, that's your one part. May your whole spirit, soul, that's your second part. And your body, that's your third part. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to make a commitment today in three areas. I'm going to start at the bottom of your outline and we're going to work up. Because again, like I said, this was a work in progress. Number three in your outline. Is I'm going to ask you to commit or make a decision to physical health. That's simply your body. And here's what your body is. This is so simple to understand. We know what our body is. When you speak to me, you're looking at my body and you're speaking to my soul. You get that? When we look at each other, what we see is our physical body. It's what we touch, what we smell, what we feel, uh, the five senses, whatever they are. That is our physical body. It's very easy to understand. Scripture, I don't have the reference refers to our body, our physical body, as the temple of God himself. And then we ought to keep it holy. And to me, that means we ought to keep it healthy. We ought to exercise. We don't have to be exercise freaks or fitness freaks. But we ought to take care of our body. We ought to make a commitment that says, you know what, God, this isn't my body. It's your body. You created it. It is your temple. Everywhere I go, I represent you because you're in me. It's an easy concept to understand. Make a commitment to take care of your body, to be healthy. Number two in your outline, in the middle. This is a big one. This one and the next one is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Time that we have. Number two is commit to emotional health. Commit to emotional health. This is your soul. 
This is your second part. It's your soul. This is the one that is the most confusing and hard to get your hands around and to understand. This is the one that we have a hard time separating from our spirit because what we so often thought about and grow up thinking is that our spirit and our soul are one and the same, is that when I become saved, that my soul is saved. We use those terms. And I just want to tell you this morning, when you're saved, it's not your soul that's saved. It's your spirit And we're going to talk about that. Your soul is your personality. And like I said in the beginning, your soul is when you speak to me. When I'm speaking to you this morning, I'm looking at you physically, but I'm speaking to your soul. Your soul is your emotions. Your soul is your your feelings. Your soul is your conscience and your imagination. It's kind of this, this part of you that makes you you. When you're happy, that's your soul. When you're sad, that's your soul. When you're depressed, that's your soul. When you're bitter, that's your soul. When you're forgiving, that's your soul. It's your mind. It's the way you think about things. It's the way you're programmed as a person. It's kind of like the internal parts of a computer. It makes you operate the way you operate. Do you understand? That's your soul. And I'm saying we need to make a commitment to be healthy emotionally or in our soul. To have a healthy soul. And that can go in all kinds of directions. When we talk about being healthy with our body, we can go in all kinds of directions. It's our eating. It's our exercise. It's making sure we get enough rest. It's making sure that we get enough downtime. You know, in our culture, and probably in this group, we don't need to preach so much about you need to work hard as we need to preach about you need to slow down. We need to relax. Madison says something in our house when somebody gets worked up. She says, would you just chillax? Right? Sometimes we need to just chillax. Take care of ourselves. And emotionally, sometimes we need to do that. We need to just chill out. Rest. And for us guys, you know what? It's easier for us because remember we have that nothing box that scientifically they've figured out that men have the ability to basically shut off their brain. About 80% of our brains just shut off. That's why when we're watching TV and we're zoned out, we don't hear anything in the house. We're in our nothing box. I use it all the time on my wife now. She wants to talk and I'm saying, babe, you know what? I'm in my nothing box. Why don't you join me there? And it's almost impossible for a woman to do that. You guys don't even have the physical capacity to shut it off. And honestly, it's a good thing because if the house was full of men and we'd all shut our brains off, it'd be disastrous, wouldn't it? But we need to still work at that. Just shut it off. Take care of yourself. Rest. Restore your soul. Whatever that might be. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what restores your soul. It might be, listen, it might be things that are simple. For some of you, it might be a movie. And you just have the ability to sit and watch a good movie, and you just shut off everything else. For some of you, it might be a walk. And you can just go walk. Maybe it's exercise. And you've got to work out really hard. But during that time, it wears you out physically, but emotionally, it restores something. And I'm saying make a commitment to be healthy emotionally, because as we're going to look at in a minute, 
your emotional health, your soul is the key, is the key to living the Christian life the way God has designed us to live it. It is the key. It's the key to being healthy physically. Here's the first thing in your outline. And this, by the way, is the most important one because everything hinges on this decision. This decision is this, is submit or commit to the author of life. Commit or submit to the author of life. And it is simply this, it is is to say to Jesus, is to say to God, I'm all yours. It's simply to say this, is to say that I don't understand how everything works. I don't even understand all the rules, but I understand you wrote the rules. Because here's, here's the thing, there are rules, there is truth. We were at Dave Ramsey last week, I mean, last, yesterday. And he uses this illustration that's an awesome illustration. Yeah, by the way, if you ever get a chance to go to hear Dave Ramsey live, go. I'm serious. But his illustration was this, is that there is truth in this world. There is truth. And it really doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It doesn't make any difference if a thousand people believe it's truth or no one believes it's truth. It is truth. And here is the illustration, and we could do it here this morning. If I were to have you stand up, everyone closed your eyes and not cheat at all, and then say, now I want every person with their eyes closed to point north. And then you would open your eyes. You know how many different directions that there would be represented in this room? Every direction. Right? And here's the thing. As much as you believe that north, which way is north, by the way? Does anybody know? Back this way? Oh, see, you're sitting this way, that guy's saying that way. Yeah, nobody really knows. Is that north this way, Mark, for sure? Okay, back here's north. So here's the thing. If you close your eyes or if you're pointing and you want to argue today, if I had a compass and I could prove this was north, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if you argue. It doesn't matter if you convince half of the world that this is north. The truth is... That's north, and it's not going to change. And here's what I'm saying when it comes to submitting to the author of life. There is an author of life, and it's God. And he has established rules, and he's established truth, and you cannot change it. You can argue with it, you can debate it, you can twist it, you can convince other people the truth stands. And I'm saying this, commit to saying, God, I don't even understand it all. I'm not even sure that it makes a lot of sense, but I submit to you and to your plan and to your truth. You are the author of life. I have in your outline, I think, something like this. This is a prayer or a saying or a model to live by that says this, God, even when I don't understand, I'll trust you. Even when I don't understand, I'll trust you. Even when it's beyond my wisdom, even if it's beyond what I feel like doing, even if it's beyond and it doesn't make any sense, I'm simply going to trust you. I'm going to submit to you. You are the author of life You've made the rules, your truth. Ultimately, what I'm talking about is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ to make that decision.
Now here's what I want to go back and kind of review and bring this whole thing together. And and my prayer is simply that it makes sense and that it connects with you at some level. Although these three things are all separate, my body, my soul, and my spirit, they all work together. And, And we're so confused about them. We're so confused about them. And here's, here's what we do. We read scripture and we hear preaching. And I've even, pre, even taught this. That you know what? You accept Jesus Christ and scripture says you're brand new. Everything is new. You've got a fresh start. You're a new person. Everything's going to be new and everything's great. And then we start living life and life happens. And what we discover as a Christian is I still have the same thoughts that I used to have. I still, lots of times, have the same temptations that I've always had. I still have the same emotions that I've always had. I still struggle with a lot of the same things I used to struggle with. And yet, everybody tells me if I give my life to Christ, if I read my Bible, everything's new and I'll have victory and everything's great, right? And I don't know about you, but I've struggled with that. I really have. I've struggled with that in trying to even help people. And I said, oh, just give your life to Christ. Everything's going to be great. He'll take care of everything. You'll be a brand new person. He'll take everything away. And see, I can see in your faces. You're like, we struggle with that. I struggle with that. How does it all work? How does this spirit thing and this soul thing and our flesh, how does it all come together and how does it all work? And I'll just say this. And it brings so much clarity. When you and I stepped across the line of faith, When we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts, according to Scripture, and I'm not going to pull up all the Scripture, but all through the New Testament, it is clear, if you look into it, that what is saved is your spirit. Your spirit is saved. It is transformed from old to new. It is transformed from darkness to light. Your spirit is saved. Your soul has not been saved. Now, don't don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that when you die, you're not going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But we confuse this whole soul and this spirit thing. Because here's here's why, and I can prove it. And you guys are all with me. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand to say, I know I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I am. I'll I'll confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you know what? My soul and my emotions are still very dark sometimes, along with all of you. I still have bad attitudes, right? I still struggle with depression or discouragement sometimes. That's not of God. So if my soul has been saved and completely transformed, it would be, all that would be gone. My spirit has been saved. My soul is in the process of sanctification. You get that? Romans 12, or Romans, uh, is it 12? or Yeah, Romans 12 too. And we've had this in the outline all along, and I've said all along, listen, everything, that, everything is dependent on how we think. This verse is speaking to your soul. This verse is not speaking to your salvation, your spirit. This verse is speaking to your soul. This is speaking to your mind, your conscience, your imaginations, your feelings, your thoughts, your attitudes. And here's what it says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
That's your soul. Your soul is in the process of sanctification, of being changed. And there's so much here. Your soul um, your soul is like a valve. Your soul is the valve between your spirit and your body. Your spirit that is saved and has been sanctified, and your spirit, by the way, that has been giving, given everything that God possesses, all of his power, all of, the, all of the ability to make you victorious in every area of your life has already been given to your spirit, which is eternal. It's all there. Your spirit has been saved. It's going to go on. It's all there. Your soul is the valve between your spirit and your body. And the health of your soul determines if that valve is open or closed. You understand? That's why it says, listen, if you want to be transformed, if you want to be different, it all depends on you making sure that your, whole, your soul, that your mind begins to think about things differently. It's that your soul and your mind believes who your spirit really is. See, we can test how we are physically and how we are emotionally. If I were to ask you this morning, how do you feel physically? Everybody would have an answer. Some of you would say, I've never felt better. I feel great physically. Some of you say, you know what? Physically, I'm not feeling so good right now. My knee hurts. My neck hurts. I've got a headache. My arm hurts. Pinched nerve. You know? We know exactly where we are physically. We know we, where we are on a soul level. If I were to ask you, how's your soul, your emotions? We would all have an answer. And we'd say, you know what? Physically, I feel great. But emotionally, I'm not so good. I'm hurting inside, or there's pain, or I'm depressed, or I'm happy, or I'm sad, or whatever it is. We're in touch with our emotions, and we're in touch, we're in touch with our soul, and we're in touch with our body. And here's the thing that we have to understand, and why it's so confusing, is so many times we think the way we feel in our soul is an indication of where our spirit is. Am I making sense? Sometimes we feel how I'm feeling and the depression and the discouragement or the pain or the happiness is an indication of where I am spiritually. And scriptures says exactly the opposite. Because here's the reality of you and I in our spirit is we have no way of being in contact with the health of our spirit physically or emotionally. You don't know where your spirit is physically or emotionally. Scripture teaches us that the only way that we know where our spirit is is by looking into the Word of God. And the Word of God is like a mirror. And it reflects back to us who we are spiritually. And it says you're born again. You're completely changed. You're a brand new person. God has given you everything that you need to do everything that you need to do. And then our decision is to believe that or to walk away from the mirror like it says in James and forget how we look. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church? I hope you did. Most of us did. 
Do you know that you have never, this is a, this is a strange thought, did you know that you have never physically looked your, looked, seen your face? You have never, not one person here has actually ever seen your face. All you have ever seen is a reflection of your face. That's it. Isn't that a strange thought? It is physically impossible for you as a human being to see your own face. You are simply relying on the reflection of a mirror, and you're hoping that it's accurate. The same is true spiritually. There's only one way to see yourself spiritually. See? It's by the mirror of God's word. Isn't that a great thought? How, who you are spiritually is not determined by how you feel physically or emotionally. That is not an indication of who you are. The Bible is an indication of who you are if you've been born again and you've trusted Jesus with your life. That is a, that is a mirror of who you are. And the Bible is full of all these wonderful things. This is, you're a brand new person. The old has died and the new has come. You're a brand new man. Now, if we could figure out a way to transform our minds, to transform our souls, to believe the spirit of scripture, or to believe the truth of scripture, to believe the truth of who we are spiritually, it would change our lives. See, your key and my key to living a victorious Christian life is determined by the health of our soul. Not just the health of our soul, but by the transformation of our soul. And I would go on to say things like this, and these are strong statements. And I'm going to say strong statements because I want you to struggle with them. And I want, to, I want something to rise up in you. So I wonder if that's right. If you're here this morning and you've struggled with depression for years, I would be brave enough to say I think it's a soul issue. It's the transformation of your mind. It's not the truth of who you are. It's not the truth of what Scripture says about you. And you have to learn and work hard at transforming your mind and transforming your feelings and transforming your soul so that the spirit and the truth of who you are in God can flow through your soul into your physical body. It's the gateway. Guys, if you struggled with years with lust or pornography... It's not because you're not born again. It's not because God's power isn't enough. It's not because his power has never been given to you. You shouldn't pray anymore. God, give me the strength not to fall. You should pray, God, transform my mind, transform my soul, bring health to my soul so that I can see myself so that it unleashes the power that you've already placed in my spirit that I can have victory. And the list can go on and on. Your three parts. See, if you can get your soul, if you can get that second and middle part of us that's, that's so hard to put our hands around. And so often we connect our soul to, man, I'm feeling down and this is happening. And, I just, uh, and we connect and we say, man, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. And that means my spiritual life is horrible and I'm not who I need to be in Christ. All this stuff. It's separate. 
Because when you feel bad physically, when your leg hurts physically, you don't say, oh man, I must be far from God. And God doesn't love me. And there's all this stuff. No, we don't do that. But, but our, our emotions and our soul, we connect to our spirit. And God says, no, no, no. The reflection of who you are spiritually is found in Scripture. And it is truth. You can argue with it. You can feel different about it. You can have different emotions. But this is the truth. And if we can learn to transform the way we think, if we can learn to read Scripture and say, that's who I am, I believe it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim it. It's regardless of how I feel, regardless of my thoughts, this is a reflection of who I am. See, if you can get your soul to link up with your spirit, it becomes a majority. If your soul and spirit can work together and your spirit begins to flow through your soul and there's an alignment and you begin to believe it and you begin to get health, you become a majority and your body has to follow. But if your body and your soul link together and work against the spirit, it is also a majority. And when I would say, I would say when your soul and your spirit work together, there is light. And when your soul and your physical body works together, there is darkness. And so I would just say this. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with something and it's dark. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't ever need to question where you are spiritually. You don't ever need to question why isn't God helping me. What you need to examine is your soul. Where's my thought process? How's my thinking being? What have I fed my soul with? What's the predominant thing that I'm feeding myself with? Not physically. Soul-wise. Is it garbage? Seriously. Garbage in, garbage out. Man, this, this whole teaching, and I want to do a lot more of this as a year comes, I think can change the way we struggle with things. I think there's been so many of us and so many Christians that said, man, I've accepted Christ, but nothing's changed. You know, I guess I know I'm saved, but I still struggle with the same garbage I struggled with before I was a Christian. I still am tempted the same way I was five years ago. And listen, I'm not saying you're going to walk into this and everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to be perfect. But maybe we've missed something. Maybe we've bought into this idea that when I accept Jesus Christ, that my body is saved, that my soul is saved, and everything's brand new. It's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, no, your spirit is changed. The rest has to be transformed. And it is a process. And it takes work. And it has to be intentional. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, work on your soul. Transform your soul. Begin to think differently. Believe what Scripture says about who you are. I want to read you this verse. Let me see if I can find it quick. Yeah. James 1. A couple verses in James 1. 
This is speaking to this fact that Scripture is like a mirror. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Listen, that's a big verse. Boy, we read right over it. According to this verse, if you listen to the word of God, if you're under God's teaching and you don't listen to it, you'll become deceived. And I think of that often. Christians that have been years for 30, Christians that have been in church for 30 or 40 years and have heard the word of God, know the word of God and have never applied it. It's a scary thought. Verse 23. It says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, it's saying this. All of you looked in a mirror this morning, you know exactly how you look, right? You know why? Because you looked in the mirror and you remembered it. You know how many times we read scripture and it says this is who we are and we walk away and we forget it. We read it, and we walk away and forget it because our feelings are different. And see, you can't feel how you look physically. You don't get out of bed and say, yeah, it feels great, I think I'm ready to go. We'll never do that. It's not accurate. It's not accurate. Same thing with your feelings about who you are spiritually. It's the scripture that's a mirror, and it says, if you look in the mirror and you walk away and forget who you are, it's foolish. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard or what the scripture says he is, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Restore your soul. Not just restore it, transform your soul so that it's like a faucet. Your soul determines how much of the spirit and how much the power of God you will experience in your physical life. It's that simple. It's a brand new thought for me over the last couple of weeks. It depends on your soul. It depends how you think. It depends how you believe. Commit. Commit to the author of life. Commit to being healthy physically. And I think for this group this morning, the most important thing that we can do is commit to emotional health. Commit to restoring your soul, to getting your soul in the place that it needs to be because it is the key to experiencing God's victory in your life. Let's pray.